Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Wealthy Sisters Radio, the show that promotes positive people. Tune in live on Mondays at 12 noon Eastern or listen live and 24-7 at www.wealthysistersradio.com. We know you will be inspired, empowered, and informed by the incredible women featured. And now it's showtime. Ladies and gentlemen, our host, entrepreneur, author, speaker, Deborah Hardnett. Well, hello and welcome to Wealthy Sisters Radio. We are so happy to have you here with us today. Wealthy Sisters Radio is sponsored by Wealthy Sisters Media Group, and you can visit us at www.wealthysisters, that's S-I-S-T-A-S, media.com for all your branding and publishing needs. Here at Wealthy Sisters Radio, we proudly promote positive people, and our purpose is twofold. First, we love to provide you that dynamic listener with inspiration and encouragement and that practical knowledge that you can apply right now to your life and business for that positive impact. And second, we must, must provide that platform to acknowledge, promote, and edify, and say thank you to the sisters for doing big things. I'm Deborah Hartnett, your host, broadcasting live on the Worldwide Blog Talk Network. Today is another awesome Monday, October the 14th, 2013. The year is moving so fast, but this is our banner year, and we're so excited about it. And I know you are as well. You know, we're here every week at the same time. That's Mondays at 12 noon Eastern. So thank you so much for spreading the word. You know, here this month, we are continuously celebrating Wealthy Brothers. That's right. We've been listening. We've been hearing. We get all of your emails saying, when are you going to bring the brothers on? Well, you know, we started this last October, and it went over so well that we just had to do it again. So last week, we had none other than entrepreneur and ABC Money Matters contributor, consultant Andre Taylor. And today, oh my goodness, I'm telling you, we have none other than Mr. Harold T. Fisher of Howard University's WHUR, The Daily Drum, as he says. This is going to be a great show. I'm telling you, I get to interview one of the best in the field. He is straight to the point, hilarious, and committed to honest reporting. Harold Fisher, like I said, is a broadcast journalist and author, shall we say playwright, that's right, we're going to talk about that play as well today. And as we mentioned, he is currently the host of The Daily Drum. Uh, he has been in this field for so many, many years, so we're going to get a chance to talk to him about that today and the business of media and what his opinion is and all that good stuff. So you know what you need to do right now. You've got to go and call everybody, text them, Facebook them, tweet them, tell them to dial 347-838-9278. That's 347-838-9278. Or you can always listen live. And if you're on a break right now and got to go back to work, you know you can catch our show always at Wealthy sistersradio.com we're also there on itunes free that's right you can download this show and all of our other incredible shows at itunes under wealthy sisters and remember to follow us on facebook and twitter so you know today we're excited about this show we are not going to keep mr fisher from you too much longer we'll take a short break and come back with the one and only the host of the daily drum mr harold t fisher Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this short commercial break. You are tuned in to Wealthy Sisters Radio. Ladies, are you tired of searching for Mr. Right and need help cracking the man code? Do you really want to know what he thinks about dating, love, and romance? Are you wondering if the one you are with will ever fall in love with you? Then you need the code cracker, Jay Neville, relationship expert and life coach. Visit jneville.com. That's J-N-E-V-E-L-S dot com. com. Business leaders, are you ready to soar? Success is not defined by your wings, but by your courage to leap from the cliff's edge and fly. With Fortune 500 expertise, the Beatty Group partners with creative and motivated leaders, weaving structure and innovation for maximum business success. Visit us at thebeattygroup.com. That's T H E. B-A-T-I-E group.com or call the Baby Group at 877-264-7699. Hello, we are live here on Wealthy Sisters Radio. Welcome back. 
We're so excited to have you. We appreciate you. Thank you so much for sending us all those great emails and Facebook messages. As every week, we are committed to bringing you the positive programming. Yes, we are. You want to hear some positive uh, information. You want to learn how to improve your business. We've got it right here for you every week. And today is another great show that I'm so excited to present to you our very special guest, none other than Mr. Harold T. Fisher. How are you, Mr. Fisher? Hey, I'm fine, Deborah. How are you? Wonderful, wonderful. We're so excited to have you on the show today. Uh, Can you speak up just a little bit for us? We don't want our audience to miss anything you have to share with us. Okay, sure. How's this? Is this any better? Yes, that's much better. That's much better. So how was your day today? Um, It's great. Uh, It's Monday. And on this particular day, for those who are listening who may hear this a little bit later, obviously, you know, from my perspective, the big concern is the debt negotiation on Capitol Hill and how slow that's going. Um, We're about four days away from this debt ceiling situation. So I've been trying to keep my eye on that. And hopefully, you know, Congress and the White House can come to some kind of deal which will get our federal government workers back on the job. Exactly. I know, you know, someone mentioned to me earlier today that this this is a holiday that reminded me of, you know, it being Columbus Day. And I thought, well, you know, they're already not working, so this is not a, a, a day that I'm sure is a unusual day for them because of being out of work. So how many weeks has it been, two weeks or 14 days now? Yeah, 14 days. Uh, technically, at the end of today, it'll be day number 14. Mm-hmm. But, you, you know, for a lot of folks out there who are uh, living paycheck to paycheck, even, you know, those dedicated government workers, 14 mm-hmm. days, four days, four hours. No four one hours. Out, you know, no one yes. needs to be out of work. No one. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. What, have you found that this, you know, story has been easy to report, or are you, you know, with all of the information that's out there, have, you know, what what has been your experience in gathering information on all of this that's going on? You know, that's an interesting question because the information has been, you know, free-flowing, but it, it's constantly changing, mm-hmm. constantly, constantly changing. Last Friday, the president met with, uh, you know, members of the you know, Republicans, the Republican leadership, and there was, you know, the thought that something was going to come out of it, and, and then, you know, later he met with uh, the, the House Republican leadership, and the House Speaker left and didn't say anything, and there was a concern that, you know, things had really just gone downhill, and then later on, literally like an hour later, you had, you know, some other members of the House speaking. So it is constantly changing. And literally, you know, as, my, as you know, my broadcast comes on Monday through Friday on WHUR, and it comes on at 7 o'clock. I was literally at 6.50, 10 minutes before air, gathering information to make sure that our listeners were getting the latest piece of information. Uh, so you know, it, it can be a, a little stressful, but if you can't handle stress, you just can't be in the news business, whether you're in front of the mic, in front of the camera, or behind the scenes, because things, things are constantly changing. Yes, for sure. And you, we, I want to talk about um, some of those changes over the years that you've seen. But before we do that, here at Wealthy Sisters Radio, our audience is nosy. We always love to get the background, where you grew up, you know, how you got involved in this industry, because we have a lot of people that tune in from all over the world, and they like to be able to play some type of uh, relation or relating or some common interest uh, with our guests. So if you don't mind, just just share a little bit with us about where you grew up and what made you go into the field that you're in today. Well, I'm from Washington, D.C. originally. That's where I was born. in 1968, when the riots 
uh, hit D.C. after the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., my parents, like a lot of black parents in Washington, moved out into the suburbs, into Prince George's County. And for those who are listening and aren't really familiar with the makeup of D.C., Prince George's County abuts D.C. directly to the east. It remains one of the most prosperous, predominantly black municipalities in the nation. It still has yes. struggles, certainly, but, but that's where I grew up. I, I was very, very little. Don't remember much about the riots at all, other than that my father was an officer in the Army National Guard. Uh, went to public school, uh, went to Morgan State University, a historically black college in uh, Baltimore, Maryland. But to, to kind of get back to your, your question about why I got into journalism, you, you a lot of people find this kind of funny. The first, pres- the first president that I ever knew, and when I say knew, meaning right. the first president that I ever saw on television or heard about or was... As a child, you know, right. Uh-huh. Yeah, as a child, was Richard Nixon. Okay, okay. And... and and so I really became aware of Richard Nixon because of the Watergate scandal, as a lot of people are familiar with. And right. and my connection to Richard Nixon, Nixon was every time I would come home from school, the Watergate hearings were on, and it got in the way of Scooby-Doo. <laughs> yes, <in the> afternoon. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> right. So I couldn't watch the Scooby-Doo cartoons because of the Watergate hearings. And later, I began to wonder, you know, why why this was happening and why it was interrupting, and and I really became interested in the Watergate scandal. Um, I I was a an amateur photographer mm-hmm. in high school, had my own darkroom. This was before digital, and I used to develop you know photographs in my basement with the you know the chemicals and all of that. And when I went to Morgan, I had every intention of becoming a, a photojournalist. But my camera equipment was stolen my very first freshman semester. And wow. we're talking about, yeah, $3,500 worth of camera equipment. So as a result, I could not, nor could my parents, replace all of the camera equipment. And I always had a talent for writing. So I figured I could, at that time, go to people's drugstore because there was no target. Okay. And <laughs> get a pad and a pen. And I figured if if that was stolen, I could cheaply replace it. And so that's how yeah. I really got into writing. Uh, my voice changed and got into broadcasting. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. so uh, I, I was very fortunate in that when I graduated from Morgan, I got my first broadcasting job two weeks after graduating. Wow. Now, was that in Huntsville? Was that that down in Huntsville? No, it was actually in radio. Uh, It was in radio. It was in in Washington, D.C. It was at a a gospel station, which is still around, although the ownership has changed, W-Y-C-D, which stood for, and still does, I would imagine, your Christian broadcaster. So, you know, I, I be a gospel DJ on the weekends and, you know, work on, you know, commercials uh, as an, in the administrative capacity during the week, left there after about a year or so, went to WHUR. And that's the irony is that I'm there, I'm back there again. But, you know, back then I was a reporter, covered Marion Barry when he was mayor, I covered Prince George's County, Montgomery County, left there after a year or so. And I went into the Foreign Service with the uh, State Department. And, uh, and that, at that time, uh, George Schultz was the Secretary of State. But I can't okay. tell you, Deborah, what I, yeah, I can't tell you what I did. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, can had, you tell us? Or what, you know, yeah, no, I, 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 I'd have secret. to kill you. No, I'd have to kill you and all of your listeners. So I, I can't <laughs> tell you. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of work. We don't want you to have to go through all that kind of work. So yeah, yeah. Anybody, anybody got time for that? But, <laughs> but, um, I, I, re- I really didn't like it much, and I left, and I kind of bummed around for several months, and then 
got a job as a runner, and that's what they call them, uh, a runner for NBC News during George Bush's inauguration. This is Daddy Bush, Herbert George, Herbert Walker Bush. Okay. After two weeks, and then worked in. I started in television at that time um, at a at a, uh, a public public access station in Montgomery County. Then I went to Tallahassee, Florida, at the CBS affiliate in Tallahassee. Uh, WCTV, which has been number one in Tallahassee, Florida, since Moses parted the Red Sea. I mean, the station oh. has all has always been very dominant. Definitely, and uh, from there, Huntsville, Alabama, first black male anchor in Huntsville. Uh, so that was interesting. <laughs> I bet, I bet. <laughs> At least you had an opportunity to go to Tallahassee first, then, you know, coming from, even though Washington, D.C. is below the Mason-Dixon line, uh, you know, but, you know, going to the south, as we say, I bet that was a big difference for you. It was. Uh, it, uh-huh. it certainly was. Uh, some people call Tallahassee lower Alabama. <laughs> yeah. And, and so... In some ways, it was like that. I wasn't there very long because I was moving very quickly in my uh-huh. career. And as I said, I, I was in Huntsville. Uh, that was an interesting experience. I mean, that was truly the South. Uh, mm-hmm. covered um, Hurricane Andrew, went to uh, Miami to cover Hurricane Andrew, um, covered a lot of small-town news, got, a, got an opportunity to really – I get my feet wet as an anchor. I was there for two years, went to Columbus, Ohio from there, and uh, at the NBC O&O, which is NBC4 in Ohio. Then from there, after two years, Buffalo, New York, as a as a morning anchor, left Buffalo. Been Buffalo for wow. three years. Yeah, didn't care much for the weather, obviously. A lot of people don't. But Buffalo right. is a fantastic city when it comes to the people, salt of the earth wonderful people. I was there for three years. Then to Kansas City, Missouri as a main anchor. I was in Kansas City for about two years. And then back home to Baltimore. And when I say home, I mean back to the East Coast. Uh-huh. And I was a uh, morning anchor for Fox 45 WBFF TV. And I was there from 2001 until 2006. I was contract canceled. I worked for Governor Bob Ehrlich, the Republican governor there. He saw me at an event, offered me a job. I'm not a Republican, not that there's anything <laughs> wrong with it. You know, for those who right, are, right. you know, your politics are your politics. Right, but, right. You know, when the chief executive of your state offers you a job. Yes, I mean, and, really. And you don't have one, <laughs> you say, yes, sir. Yes. <laughs> and, so, and see, that, those were the days when when the politicians were uh, getting along. It, it was a different era uh, then. You know, this I, this I, I what we see so. today is is totally different from what I remember um, ever seeing. Yeah, and objectively speaking, uh, Rob Ehrlich, Robert Ehrlich, the, the, the Republican governor at the time, would have been considered a moderate by his Republican colleagues and even by uh, Democrats and independents, mm-hmm. as he was not what he was not, you know, a Tea Party Republican. He was not uh, right wing or anything like that. So, you know, I, you know, I thank the man for the job. And then he lost the election, and eventually, a WHUR came calling again, and I took the job, which is where I've been since 2007. Wow, wow. Now, yeah. you know, you definitely have, like I said, been in this field for what? How many years now? Is it 20? Uh, probably about 30 years. 30? Yeah, when I was 18. Wow. And you have seen, no doubt, all the places that you've been. I'm sure even now today you've seen a lot of changes uh, uh, in the media uh, as well and how news is being reported. What What are some of the major differences over the years, and what are some of the consistent uh, ways that the media or news is being reported today? The consistencies remain just some shoe leather foundational reporting. I mean, mm-hmm. you still have to have your sources. You still have to talk to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, facts are still important. 
I used to have a news director who, who said to me, don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. And what he meant by that is you have your facts, but you still have to have the skills to tell a story so that everyone, and this was in television, everyone can relate, your viewers can relate to the story. Uh, right. But the things that have really changed uh, have to do with technology. And, uh-huh. yeah, I mean, that that's, that's the reality of everything. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, even something so simple that we probably take for granted right now as email. Right. Um, things are digital now. Uh, before, you everything was analog, and by that, meaning physical tape, video tape. And before that, I mean, that's before my era, but there was even film where film had to be shipped somewhere and developed, and it had probably a 12-hour turnaround time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after that, you know, video uh, really sped up the turnaround time. But now everything is digital and everything is on the Internet. And here's a prime example. I'll give you a prime example. When I was in Alabama and we were required when something happened and there was someone that we were looking into uh, to see where they lived or if they owned a house or something like that, if something, if there was a fire, let's, mm-hmm. try, let's say that. And, and the person who owned the house, we had a name. And, and the name and the name was John Smith, and John Smith lived in Madison County, Alabama. We would have to go to the courthouse, right? Physically, uh-huh. physically, see the clerk, ask to go back into the dusty room and look up, you know, this gentleman, and to see whether or not he was the owner of the house. And depending on how old the house was, sometimes the records were handwritten in books that were twenty inches tall and. 15 inches across, great big old dusty book. Right. Now, when you need to do that, all you have to do is go to the Internet, and that information could literally be in hand in five minutes or less as opposed to taking three hours to go to the courthouse. And and going during business hours when they're open. Now you can do it any time of day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And so things move much more quickly. Uh, Equipment is digital. It is smaller, it operates much more quickly, and, you know, and some, some would say cheaply when you're talking about the business of broadcasting. So I think those are the things that that are significantly different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, with all of the people that you've interviewed, the stories that you cover, what what are some of the most memorable interviews? or some that you just will never forget of stories? <laughs> there are so many <laughs> that it, it's hard to to quantify that. I will say that celebrities and, and people who are well-known are uh-huh. not people who have impressed me. I mean, I certainly I remember them, and I should say right. they, they're not the people who impressed me the most. Right. The people who, who have impressed me the most are regular folks. Mm-hmm. Regular folks who are in the midst of tragedy or against incredible odds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones that really, really affect me the most. You know, I think that to when I was uh, in Alabama and Hurricane Andrew hit in South Florida, there was a church in Alabama, in, in Huntsville, that was sending care packages, a truckload, a Hurstinsky truckload of stuff down to, to uh, South Florida, a uh, Miami suburb called Princeton. And my photographer and I, got on the truck and we were 
in, in what is it called uh, uh, in that infant position, you know, where you're curled up. Uh, mm-hmm. We were behind the seats, not in, you know, we weren't sitting, we were <laughs> curled up behind the seats, and we went down 18 hours down. In like that, that. wow. Yeah. That's like a like college student riding home. I remember those days. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Catching a <And the> ride. <laughs> so yeah. I remember interviewing people who had been devastated by Hurricane Andrew, and I, and I interviewed a couple, a man and a woman with a child, and mm-hmm. they lived in a trailer park, and they were standing on the concrete platform of their trailer park, and she was eating shrimp out of a can. Mm. And she said, you know, this is all we have. And Mm. this is all we have left. And you looked around, and the place was devastated. There were just concrete platforms where the trailers were. And, no, I don't remember his name or her name, but I just remember the anguish and the fear and the concern and yet the strength that came from, you know, their determination to to survive. Uh, the mm-hmm. same kind mm-hmm. of, I, I, I felt the same kind of thing when I went to Haiti a year after the earthquake and was in Port-au-Prince and saw you know, the devastation that remained there. And wow. Speaking, and speaking to the children at an orphanage outside of Haiti, um, there was one girl, and this was really, really horrific, one girl lost 18, I believe it was 18 members of her family, mothers, fathers, wow. all sisters, uncles, wow. and she mm-hmm. lost her right arm. She was the only survivor. Mm. And through a translator, she spoke very quietly about you know, the fact that she had to write with her left hand because she was right-handed, but she was determined to learn how to write with her left hand. And, mm. and I'm and I'm going to take I'm going to take some of your listeners way way back. It reminded me of a Bill Withers song that my father used to listen to way way back in the '70s when I was a kid. It was about a Vietnam veteran who was right-handed and lost his arm in the war. And he said, and the, and the song goes, I can't write left-handed. And we're talking about, you know, the effects of the war. And so I think that the same kind of effects, the depression, and yet that young girl's resolve, because I think she was only 12. 12 years old. Wow. Yeah. So, wow. you know, those are the kinds of things that really touch me when I report. It's not, you know, the famous people. I, I'm just, I'm not starstruck. I never right. have been. Right. But the, the regular folks who have done extraordinary things, that those are the things that really touch me. And, you know, you your show reflects that. Uh, you, you definitely have a, a wide variety of topics. Can you tell us a little bit about the Daily Drum? Uh, we know we have, like I said, we have listeners all over, but they can catch it now on satellite radio as well, so yes. they don't just have yes. to be here in D.C. and they can listen on the Internet. Tell us about your show's format and, and uh, why they should tune in. Well, for those who aren't familiar, the Daily Drum is Monday through Friday from 7 to 8 o'clock. You can hear it on WHUR.com from 7 to 7.30. Of course, after 7.30 on radio and on the Internet, we go into the quiet storm. But if you have Sirius XM, it's on Sirius XM Channel 141, and you hear the entire hour from 7 until 8 o'clock. We have news. We have a little sports weather and a business report, and then we go into the discussion. The Daily Drum is actually 41 years old, so I'm just carrying the torch right now until it's passed, hopefully way, way down the road. <laughs> right. <laughs> Wait a minute. I was like, pause now, what? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. No, I, I hope to be there a long, long time. But uh, it was started at the same time WHUR was started, and in, in 1972, and um, it is meant to 
inform and to, to educate the African-American community, telling you things you need to know and sometimes telling you some things that you don't necessarily want to know. Right. Uh, it, has, it has changed somewhat over the years to, to keep up with the kind of listeners that, that African-Americans have become. I know back in the back in the 70s and 80s, there was a lot of concentration on on what was going on in in Africa, specifically South Africa, with apartheid. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there was a lot of that. Um, and back in the day, when I was when I was there, and I was you know just a kid back in the uh, late 80s, uh, we had oh my goodness, there were so many of us there. The, the newsroom. And the support staff number eighteen. I mean, it was it was as big as some television news news director, assistant news director, editors. We had sound editors. We had Derek McGinty, who is at WUSA TV now in Washington. He covered Capitol Hill, and Curtis Crutchfield, who covered uh, Northern Virginia and Washington D.C. We kind of you know, did some of that work together. Um, we had Glenn Harris who was the sports director. He's now at New Channel 8 in Washington, D.C., or Greg Moso, who was a sports reporter. So it, it, was, it was really all-encompassing. We had Bill Gasparini, who was in Central America, because back in the 80s, of course, Iran-Contra was a big deal. Right. Um, we also had Subri Govender, who spent time in South Africa reporting what was going on there. So we... It, it, it was really, really incredible uh, the way that we, we covered news there, and it, it was fascinating. And sometimes we had celebrity interviews, of course, and politicians, but because there were so few outlets for African Americans at the time, uh, we were really the go-to broadcast entity for news and information. And uh-huh. that was, we were talking before CNN and before uh, MSNBC before everyone had cable and the like, right? And, and we we still try to do those kinds of things. And I, I believe that we we bring our guests on. We like to have them in studio, although a lot of times they're on the phone. And we talk about everything. We talk about we talk about money. We talk about politics. We talk about social issues, education, uh, crime, law and order, justice issues. And sometimes, you know, we talk about, you know, relationships because those are the kinds of things that a lot of people are, are interested in. And we're not just talking about relationships as it relates to men and women, but also relationships with um, your family, family your children, right. everything. <laughs> mm-hmm, 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 Nothing's mm-hmm. off limits. Mm-hmm. Truly, it isn't. Now, you know, as this, you're there at the Daily Drum and you're doing your reporting. You're also, as you mentioned earlier, an author, a writer. Mm-hmm. And uh, we know that you uh, had your, your your book that you wrote, uh, Two Weeks Until the Rest of My Life. Is that the yes, correct? that's correct. Uh-huh. And then you created a, a stage play from that. Tell us about that. Yeah, the the book was published back in 2010. Uh, it was really kind of a long time coming. I actually started it, started writing it back in back in the 90s when I was in Huntsville, Alabama. But I had to stop because my career really took off, and I just got too busy. Mm-hmm. When I came back to Baltimore, I, I started writing again, and it still took some time because, again, television is an all-encompassing career. Uh, when I finally finished it, and it, I think it did, you know, relatively well for something that that I self-published. Um, I, and it's kind of complicated, but the the short story is that the Paul Robeson Theater, which is part of the African American Cultural Center in Buffalo, New York has a creative director who was a colleague of mine when I was a news anchor in Buffalo, New York. The, the cultural center flew me to Buffalo for a book club, and it was a relatively large book club. I think there were probably about, I don't know, 30 or 35 people there. And, you know, we talked about the book, 
and they enjoyed it. And the the cultural director of the of the cultural center, she said, um, the creative director, I should say, she said, "What do you think about having me adapt this for a stage play?" And I said, "Okay, well, you know, whatever." You know, I, you know, I was like, "All right, that's fine." I didn't think altogether that much about it. I mean, I was flattered, but you know, come on. And and you know we you know we kept in touch because we had been friends since, of course, I was on TV in Buffalo. And then it happened. Um, you know, they 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 had a casting call, and it ran in Buffalo from May through the first week of June for an entire month. Wow. And uh, it was uh, successful to us. But, you know, we're only talking about Buffalo, New York. Right. And, you know, Buffalo is a much smaller city than Washington. And so while I was there, I called, you know, my general manager, and I asked him, uh, what did you think? The general manager at WHUR, Jim Watkins, and I said, what did you think about me bringing this play to Washington? And he said, if you can make it happen, um, we'll support you. And I said, great. And I got off the phone and I said, how in the hell am I going to make this happen? (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that always the first thought? It's like, okay, I can do this. But then when you sit there for a moment, wait a minute. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know anything about... uh, plays or anything like that, but, you know, so what I decided to do, I, as the executive producer, and I I see what that's all about, Mm -hmm. uh, I decided to bring it to Washington, and one of the things that I discovered, and I see how the Spike Lees and the David E. Talberts and the Tyler Perrys of the world, uh, I see what they go through. It was very, very difficult because the play stopped running in June and it ran for three performances in July. So essentially, I did this in less than two months. Wow. And these things, these things usually take a minimum, a minimum of seven months to a year to do. Mm-hmm. The easy part was that I already had the actors and a set. The, the play had already been produced in Buffalo. My right. job was to find a theater and to bring the actors, the cast and crew, to D.C. Mm-hmm. So like I tell people all the time, as we remember from, you know, she's got a habit with Spike Lee, you know, he always talked about putting everything on credit cards. You know, I might leave that joint, and that's exactly <laughs> what I did. Um, I paid for it. Uh, I did have the support of WHUR uh, with promotions and the like, and I was very impressed. It, it, you know, it wasn't an easy thing because I still had my day job. Right. You know, so I, I spent literally every hour that I was not working trying to bring it to Washington. It almost didn't wow. happen because I was having difficulty finding a theater on such short notice because summer is not theater time. You know, theater right, time it's is, concert. you know, fall and winter. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. But it, it happened, I, it, I held it, it was held at the ARC, that's T-H-E-A-R-C in Southeast Washington on Mississippi Avenue, and which is a fantastic facility, and it, it went off very, very well. Um, I was in the black uh, financially. And now that's great. That is yeah. that is awesome. That is a great yeah. story. Yeah. So it, yeah. I, I was happy with it. I'm still doing um, a lot of women's book clubs for the book. I just did a women's book club uh, two weeks ago. For those who are listening who are interested in the novel, uh, you can find it on my website at Harold T. Fisher dot com and uh you, know, you can buy one there from there if you want. But if you have a book club, you know, if you read the book and you want me to come, send me an email. I answer all of my email and you know, the least I could do is show up if people have 
taken the time out of their busy schedules when money is tight to purchase the book and read it. Right. <laughs> the least I could do is show up. So um, <laughs> you know, I've enjoyed that uh, immensely. And yes, I'm, yes. I'm, well, I'm, I think I'm that's a, a smart book. way that you have been able to promote your book um, through the book clubs. I think yeah. that's uh, when we met, you were your book because you said 2010 you came to our first conference the winter summit and i remember exactly. you were doing the book clubs at that time yeah I, I really like the book clubs because they're very intimate it doesn't matter how many people are there mm-hmm. and i've done them as small as eight people and as large as 35 mm-hmm. and you know, i've done a couple of you know large ones but Book clubs are wonderful. The, the settings are very, very intimate, and it gives you an opportunity to see who is reading your book and to hear what they have to say. <laughs> and and I and I always appreciate you know sitting in a room with sisters and having them be very, very candid and very open about their thoughts. I mean, nothing is better than to, to see a group of women sitting there holding your book, and you can see that they're well-thumbed, and they highlighted and marked up your book, which, you know, suggests right. that they're really, really into it. I think it's wonderful. Into it. And are you using that for fodder as for your next book that you're working on? Just those experiences? Yeah. Um, my next book, which is also, you know, a romance, a older woman, younger man kind of scenario is uh, <laughs> okay. You know, it, it's darker. It is more intense. But I will say that the main character, the main female character, is based on some of the experiences of one of the book club members from my very first book book club. Wow. And, you know, it, it, it deals with issues of colorism because she is very dark, very uh-huh. dark skin, and uh-huh. very, very beautiful, really a beautiful sister. I mean, not only on the inside, but also on the outside. I mean, she is a striking physical specimen. I, I always tell her, you know, she has the kind of, of beauty that sucks the air out of the room. Wow. And, you know, but her experiences with colorism, because she is so dark, are really, they, they border on tragic when you talk about how she was treated by, you know, her young peers when she was, you know, in high school and men You know, it's it's very, very painful. And I think that the revelation, revelation, the the revelation that that someone can have when they all of a sudden look in the mirror and they say to themselves, my God, I am a beautiful person. And mm-hmm. I don't mean trying to convince yourself of that, but also, but I mean really saying, "Whoa, realize you!" Right? Yeah. And after really... experiencing such adverse right. experiences, right? Uh-huh. Exactly. So it, it, you know, a lot of that is in you know the second book. My big issue is trying to find the time to, you know, to write, and you know, and and there's some research that has gone into to this too because I've had to do some historical research because the book starts way before I was born in you know the 1950s <laughs> so I've had to talk to people about you know life in rural America during the 1950s so you know, that, that's where it starts and you know and it's still going to have a lot of sex in it yes 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 <laughs> you know, but well, well, they heard it from you right here on Wendy Sisters Radio. So they're not. I know they're interested for sure. Like, where? Okay, when can we get that book? <laughs> well, I, I got to sure. finish writing it. 
That's good. That's good. Well, we know that you're definitely going to continue to do that. I tell you, if you just tuned in, you're tuned in to Wealthy Sisters Radio with our very special guest today during the month of October celebrating Wealthy Brothers, Mr. Harold T. Fisher, author, playwright extraordinaire, and the host of WHUR's Daily Drum. We're going to take one more short break. We'll be right back, and then I'd love for you just to take about two minutes and share with us uh, what's coming about outside of your new book and um, any tips that you would like to share with our audience for those who are entering into the business of media today and reporting. So we'll take a short break and come right back. You're tuned in to Wealthy Sisters Radio. Queen Anita Empire Online features luxurious African handmade healthy skin and body care products. From enhancing all-natural soaps, hair growth stimulating shampoos, to delicious healthy drinks, great for arthritis. We have an extensive inventory of more than 450 items to begin your natural journey to wellness. Visit QueenAnitaEmpireInc.com. That's QueenAnitaEmpireInc.com. Remember, QueenAnitaEmpireInc.com. Does your home or office decor need a resurrection? Is there a special room of yours that says blah, blah, blah and is lacking inspiration? Then you need creative ways and solutions. We help you create feel-good spaces that are functional and beautiful at the same time. We are here to cater to you with an environmental and spiritually conscious flair. Both in-person and virtual interior design services are available. Visit us online at creativeways.com, spelled with a K, or call 888-280-8318 for a complimentary consultation. We create spaces that inspire you. We're live back here on Wealthy Sisters Radio with none other than Mr. Harold T. Fisher of WHUR, HUR's Daily Throne. We're so excited to have him on the show. If you just tuned in, you've got to go back and get to get it. He shares some great information, awesome stories, talking about that book, that new book that's coming out. We're excited to have him on. And also, we want you to stay tuned in. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter on the Wealthy Sisters, and you can catch this show and all our other shows at Wealthy Sisters Radio. So, Mr. Harold T. Fisher, I like saying that, how you have the T in there. Harold T. Fisher, it just flows. Tell us about uh, <laughs> what you have in about two minutes left we have here, what you've got else coming down, what else you have coming down the pike, and then also any advice or closing words you'd like to share with our audience today who might be thinking or considering a career in the news media? Well, I, as I said, the, the book is probably, you know, the biggest thing if I can – you know, really, you know, discipline myself to to sit mm-hmm. down and 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 do some some writing. Uh, some people have suggested that I, you know, look into a, you know doing a a feature film or something. Like anything else, I've got to figure out how to do that. So how to do that, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, that, Don't you, you know, love it when you get it. all the good ideas? <laughs> okay, yeah, give right. me some money. Give me some support staff. <laughs> Something, you know. Um, but I think you know, those are really the only things that that I can speak of that are that are coming, uh, you mm-hmm. know, for me personally. As far as advice is concerned, for those who want to get into media, I think, and it depends on where you want to go. And this is for your your listeners who perhaps have children who are going <laughs> to college or just getting out of college or or wherever they are. They need to learn how to write. I think writing is really a lost art and mm. you know, in the in the era of texting and mm-hmm. and emailing and the like, people mm-hmm. really, really need to learn how to write. Um, do not waste your talent if you are a creative Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you've got to you got to put it down. And if you want to write, um, Stephen King said, you know, if you want to write, then write. Mm-hmm. Do it. Mm-hmm. Just, mm-hmm. just write, write, write. Do not stop writing. And mm-hmm. and also read. Widen your horizons, particularly for African Americans. Uh, you need to know as much about 
you know, Jay-Z, Beyonce, and, you know, Rihanna, and Oprah. But but you, you also need to remember that you need to read, you know, people like Stubbs Turkle and, or, you know, find out what's going on with some of our, you know, our classic authors. Shakespeare, you can never go wrong with Shakespeare. You just can't. Right. Um, you just you just have to know as much about the world outside of your world as you can, uh, right, because if you, right. if, you, if you don't, you're you're going to be you're going to be at a loss. And, right. And uh, travel so that you can see the world from a different from a different perspective. And I know a lot of people may not equate this. You know, I'm a foodie. Love different kinds of food. Try to mm-hmm. taste something other than soul food. Oh my goodness. You know, mm-hmm. you know, try mm-hmm. French, try Turkish, try mm-hmm. Spanish food, and I mean Spanish, not just Mexican, Spanish food. Right. You know, um, you you need to focus on being a Renaissance person as much as you can, because the more you know, the more you're going to want to know. And, you know, that's the way that the world is, uh, that what is it, six degrees of separation now? I think it's like 1.5 with mm-hmm. with the Internet and how we can literally be in touch with someone all around the world that we've never met, we would not have had an opportunity. So that's, I mean, it's bringing the world together. It's, it's smaller. So it is important, like you're saying, for yeah. us to do those things and to learn and not just be of an opinion that, oh, I don't like that or you've never had that before. <laughs> I remember yeah. I had a colleague of mine who, I don't like Mexican food. And I, I asked, well, what is it that you don't like? Have you never had it before. So, of course, we had to go to an authentic restaurant, and guess what? They enjoy Mexican food. So, you know, but, Absolutely. Uh, expanding. Yeah. Yeah, One thing so I did important. want to add, because I know you're you're low on time, and this has nothing to do with anything I've said before, uh, probably one of the most important things I, I would emphasize is Try to work on being kind. Mm. I think that kindness is is so mm. important, even in these these tough times, these mm-hmm. these partisan political times, and mm-hmm. you know where people mm-hmm. are always accusing other Don't people of being you know mm-hmm. mean or racist. Or mm-hmm. listen first, you know, before you you speak when someone says something that offends you. Listen to the tone, you know, mm-hmm. particularly, you know, if you're texting or emailing, there is no tone. So before you jump down someone's throat, think about what they say, how they're saying it, and even in right. person, work on, on kindness. I think kindness is so important. You know, that is so, that is that is such a great way to end. I know Ellen uh, does that on her show. That's one of the things I love about her. She always says that at the end, be kind yeah. to everyone, be kind. Be to kind. And that, that is great. like a lost Absolutely. art. Yeah, it is. And and in particularly, I, I kind of notice, I mean, it's, it's that climate, like you said. We, everyone is on edge. Uh, it's a, you know, that we're defensive right now. It's very stressful right now, and a lot of, a lot of those simplicities of just being kind and being compassionate. Um, yeah. With one another, because you just never know why a person is responding the way they are, what their experience is, or what a person is going through, and people are going through a lot. <laughs> Absolutely. They are. Even people who are doing well, uh, mm-hmm. perhaps in, in business or on their jobs, but you still don't know what they're mm-hmm. dealing with at home, whether it be in marriages with family, with with their children, uh, or even with themselves. Health-wise, so, you know, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. you got to take a breath sometime and, and do your best to be kind to someone and and I mean kindness for the sake of kindness and not kindness because you're expecting something uh, in return. It'll come. Exactly. Exactly. It'll come. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Harold T. Fisher, for joining us here on Wealthy Sisters Radio. It's certainly been a privilege. 
and an honor to have the opportunity to interview you today. Um, we definitely want to wish you continued success and want to encourage everyone to tune in. Please give everybody your contact information, how they can reach you, find you, follow you, and listen to you on the Daily Drum. Well, first of all, anything for you, Deb, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, but I, I'm I'm not hard to find. You can... You can find me, like I said, on my website at heraldtfisher.com, and you can email me there, um, or you can email me at heraldtfisher at gmail.com. Uh, I'm on Facebook at heraldtfisher. I'm on Twitter at hfisher, W-H-U-R, and, and I respond to tweets, email, you know, the whole bit. Hey, look, you can even send a letter if you want. I love those. Send it to WHUR at Howard University. You can look it up. You'll find it. <laughs> I know. Take it old school. Old school. Put a stamp on that rascal. <laughs> That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, thank you again so much. Now we are just so privileged to have had you on the show, and you continue to have a super day. want to you thank too. all of our listeners for tuning in. We're excited for our next segment. You know, every uh, week now we are sharing a feature of an expert, and this week we have none other than Marcella Malone-Williams, who is just a dynamic individual. She is our featured financial expert, and today she's going to be sharing with us why life insurance is important. So stay this tuned. This is Marcella Mullen Williams with your Wealthy Sisters Wealth Strategy segment. September is Life Insurance Awareness Month. I know what you're thinking. Why does life insurance need awareness? Well, I'm glad you asked. There are currently 95 million adult Americans that do not have life insurance. That means 95 million people are exposed to unnecessary financial risk. Risk is defined as exposure to the chance of injury or loss, a hazard or dangerous chance. When it comes to the financial well-being of you and your family, how exposed are you? Does your family have an effective risk management plan in place? To create an effective risk management plan for your family, you must consider preparing for three levels of risk. The risk of dying too soon, becoming ill, and living too long. Let's look at dying too soon. If you were to die unexpectedly and your family members are still relying on your income, how will they replace that income? Becoming ill. If you were to become ill, do you have the financial resources available to pay the medical treatment needed and maintain your current standard of living? Medical expenses are among the leading causes of financial strain. And living too long. If you were to no longer have anyone depending on your income and you made it into your retirement years, how much money will you need to live on and for how long? What most Americans are unaware of is that life insurance can play a pivotal role in mitigating the risk involved in all three scenarios. What is insurance? Well, insurance is simply put, the transfer of risk. When you purchase auto insurance, homeowner's insurance, or insurance for your business, you are transferring risk from yourself to an insurance company. Permanent life insurance is no different. It can mitigate the risk involved in dying too soon by providing your family with the financial means to go on through its death benefit, becoming ill by possibly providing you with the protection for critical, chronic, and terminal illnesses through optional riders, and living too long by possibly providing you with a stream of tax-free income for your retirement years. Unfortunately, most Americans fail to have a proper risk management plan in place because they are unaware of the various benefits of life insurance, thus the need for life insurance awareness. When it comes to your family, risk management cannot be left to chance. Take the time to review your current policies and your overall risk management plan. Update it or start putting your plan in place today. Going without it is simply not worth the risk. This has been Marcella Mullen-Williams of LBG Financial Services with your Wealthy Sisters Wealth Strategy segment. To begin designing your personal wealth strategy or for more information, visit www. 
lbgfinancial.com or email me at mwilliams at lbgfinancial.com. Well, thank you again for tuning in. I want to remind everybody, make sure you go and check out our featured episode there with El Denise, um, who is uh, talking about how to get that government contract. She's definitely doing an event on November here coming up in a few short weeks. We're going to be talking more about that, uh, running her uh, promo about that next week. So definitely go to her website and check her out and check out that featured show there. Again, we want to thank you for tuning in to Wealthy Sisters. Stay tuned. We have a very special guest next week. will be another surprise for you as we continue with Wealthy Brothers here on Wealthy Sisters Radio. Continue to have a wonderful day, and as always, we wish you and yours the best of everything great. This has been another episode of Wealthy Sisters Radio. Thank you for joining us. Stay tuned for another positively impacting show next week. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Wealthy Sisters and on the web at WealthySistersRadio.com. The opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of our hosts, staff, or partners of our Wealthy Sisters.